Beyond Synth, Season 7, Sequence Commencing in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hey there, welcome to the show. My name is Andy Last, and you are listening to Beyond Synth, episode 185. So if you are one of the regular listeners who listens week to week, you will notice that this episode is posting a little late. Normally I post the show usually around between 9 and 10 a.m., Eastern Standard Time on Mondays, but today I'm actually recording this at 9 a.m. So last week we did a test. We were doing a test of the live stream, and I got so excited. I have sort of an artist mentality, meaning like when I get excited about something, I just have to do that thing. (coughs) So we did a live stream, and then I thought, you know, I really have to work on making the Beyond Synth set more permanent and have more of my lights set up and ready to go so that when I stream, I can actually uh, film on the real Beyond Synth set. I got a video capture card so I can use my camera, and I'm hoping to make that more of a regular thing, doing the uh, the live stream call-in show. So basically, there was like two days where I was all excited, setting up all the lights, trying to get things working so that, I don't know if I've explained this, but my the Beyond Synth TV set is just in my living room, and so for the most part, a lot of the props, a lot of the elements of the set I put away and I have to bring them out every time I film and sometimes it takes like three hours to set up which is why it's hard for me to do the live streams from the set because I don't want to have to spend three hours I would love to just you know take 20 minutes turn the cameras on and go so I did that then what I lost two days of work because I had to get a crown put in at the dentist so that took my Friday and then uh, the whole family's sick as you can hear in my voice. So that is why this episode is delayed. Lots of stuff was going on, and uh, and I just didn't finish the episode on time. But uh, here it is now, so you better love it. And here's what we're going to do. We are going to listen to a cool new track by Max Thor, and then we are going to do a shout-out to all the new patrons because there's a, there's a bunch of new Patreon activity. And uh, I want to thank everybody for supporting the show. So first, uh, this track Max Thor just sent to me, I think he just put it out. I hope I'm not playing it early. <laughs> uh, I never know. All right, so here is a track. This is Max Thor with Run.
And that was Run by Max Thor, the new one from Max Thor. And if you dig Max Thor, uh, go back and uh, listen to when he was on the show. I think that was last season, right? He was a fun guy from Spain, if I remember correctly. So... We got to do a shout out here to some new Patreon activity. I want to say that Martin Larby has upgraded his support. Martin Larby is a cool guy and hopefully we're going to be able to catch up when uh, Outland happens. So then I'll be able to tell Martin Larby in person. That he's a cool guy. And new $25 pledge uh, from Honeybeard. Honeybeard. Honeybeard makes cool music. I've played a few tracks on the show before, so you should go uh, check them out. I dig it. And I think the other day... Dude, were you at Haley's thing? I feel like I've seen you in person several times, but we never actually talked. Like, I would see you at a place, and i go, I should probably go say hi to him, and then by the time I... Because I get distracted, and then I look around, and then he's gone. I'm like, oh, all right. One of these days, man. <laughs> There's a good story for everyone. Uh, and then a new triple six donation from Replicant69. Uh, look, Replicant69 is a cool guy. He also uh, gave a one-time uh, special donation. And he says, hey, Andy, here's a one-time donation for 69. <laughs> says, I'd love to be at home in the 69 a month club, but I feel more at home with the donation of the beast. Keep playing that great music and being a cool guy. Cheers, Replicant 69. Well, you're a cool guy. And thank you uh, so much for supporting the show. And also, a nice uh, $50 pledge uh, from Mr. Elay Arson. Elay Arson is a really cool guy. And thanks so much uh, for supporting the show, man. I really appreciate it. Elay Arson. Am I even saying that right? Is it going to turn out that it's Elay Arson? What if it turned out that I was pronouncing the arson part wrong? <laughs> Actually, it's Ulao uh, Arson. Well, I'm assuming that is not the case. All right, hold on, guys. I got to blow my nose. And also, before I forget, Angelo Taylor sends in some support for Beyond Synth. Angelo Taylor is a really cool guy. One of these days I'm going to get a thesaurus and come up with uh, more things to say than just people are cool guys. But uh, Angelo, thank you uh, so much for supporting the show. Angelo is cool. He makes very neat things. And every day I look at the Beyond Synth sign he made me because I found a, a good place for it on the wall. And it's, uh, it's right there, looking back at me. He made me a lovely metal sign. I think there's a video on YouTube about it. Not the making of it, just me showing it. I wonder if the making of would have been more interesting. Angelo Taylor is a very talented fellow, and he does lots of cool things that I wouldn't have the ability to do. Also today, because of my cold, it's like I'm not even hearing out of my earphones correctly. Like, it sounds like they're quieter today. Ugh. Anyway, look. Today on the show, we're going to be talking to Wave Shaper. We're going to do that in a little bit. First, though, we will play some more music. So, as you know, Chris Dance is the king of the Pattersons. He donates 88 bucks a month, which is insane. and uh, But he's really awesome. He has a song request this week, and so we are going to listen to it because that's what happens. And don't forget, people, anybody in the $25 club or up, if you ever want to request a song, man, just uh, send me a message. That is uh, one of the perks 
Chris wants to listen to Rise of Turbo Kid by Lamatos, and I'm not gonna disappoint him. This is Lamatos with the track Rise of Turbo Kid.
Rise of Turbo Kid by Lumatos. And that was requested by Mr. Chris Dance, the king of the Pattersons. And also brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. There's Jose Arbello with the 6659. Good, my voice is terrible today. <laughs> Sorry, Jose. Having a cold is no fun. But look, I'm excited about doing the live Twitch show. So if anyone ever wants to, like, call in or just see some gibberish, uh, we I don't really know what the Twitch show is. It's just going to be, I'm going to turn the cameras on, and then we're just going to go. I don't have an actual plan, like a single plan, other than to just be a goof. We did a test show, and Gregorio Franco called in, and I put on masks, and that was... <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to fill some time. I play video games because it's on Twitch. But yeah, I mean, that's uh, it should be a fun thing. It's more about the call-in show aspect. So if you have Skype, you can call in, and then I do a little split screen, and it looks like a little news show. But i got to work on some of the graphics. Anyways, I'm really excited to do it. Um, I've wanted to do it for a while. I know I said it was a Patreon goal for if we reached 1,500, but... I do kind of want to do it anyways and just so people can see what it is that I actually want to uh, to do. Because who knows? Maybe people will go like, this is fucking what you want to do? This is dumb. And it will be dumb. I just have to find a way to do it where it doesn't interfere with the editing of Beyond Synth. Because last week on Friday, well, A, I had had the dental work and then I did a live stream when I got home. And then I just got so excited about getting the set ready that I, I just stayed up really late. Everyone in the house was sick and I didn't get enough sleep. So I woke up the next day pretty sick. I had to record an interview, which was fine. That went fine. And then I just kept pushing the edit back further and further. And now we got to the point where, you know, this is when I'd normally be posting this damn thing. But don't worry if you're sitting there worried. The whole point of this is that there will be more Beyond Synth content out there. It just sometimes, because my schedule is so tight with uh, editing the show, that every time I try and make an advance on something else it just eats away the time i have to do the other thing until everything is set up so if i take a week and set up so everything's ready to go on the live stream then i can just hit record and do a live stream and i know i've got the time to do that because during the day like i don't work constantly like there are times where i don't work and so uh what am i talking about is this interesting to anybody there's gonna be a show all right that's the point so how about we listen to another track? Uh, this is a cool one from Star Founder from the album Synth Runner 2017. This is Annihilating.
And that was Annihilating by Star Founder. And that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters, Jacob Wick, with the 4488, Jacob Wick, and City Hunter with the 42. And then there's Lucas Ceballos. With the 2666 and my awesome buddies in the $25 club, Clint Dowling and new supporter Honeybeard. You guys are the best. Um, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash beyondsynth. And if you don't like Patreon, you can go to beyondsynth.com and click on support the show. There's a PayPal button on there. So I'm one step closer to my plan. I downloaded Plex. It's that app that sort of acts as a media streamer because I want to uh, digitize all my old like kids cartoons and my favorite shows and then put together my own playlist so I don't have to flip around on Netflix because whenever I turn on Netflix, I just get overwhelmed and I don't pick anything. While I've been doing all the stuff that I said I was doing, I also keep going to my computer every 20 minutes to like swap the discs out because I'm digitizing like all my stuff. And I just did Simpsons and Seinfeld. And like, so Seinfeld was 25 discs, so that took like all weekend to digitize. But now I'm going to have a, uh, you know, I'll have a big giant Simpsons and Seinfeld playlist where, you know, it'll alternate. It'll play a Simpsons and it'll play a Seinfeld. And ultimately, my plan is to have a fake little TV station that's just for the house. Because this isn't about being online. This is about having an offline option so that, you know, if the internet goes down or Netflix goes down, you know, there's still another way to play media and stream media through the house. But also because, quite frankly, when I'm flipping through the streaming services, we've got Netflix and Amazon Prime, I just end up looking at the list and wasting time. And if there's anything that's clear now, it's like, I just do not have the time to waste. Every moment I need to sort of capitalize on. And so I really just want to be able to turn on my TV, hit play, and then it just plays stuff in the background that I know I like. And so I want to set up like a Saturday morning kids cartoon playlist, you know, where it'll do like, it'll play a real Ghostbusters episode, then it'll play an episode of Gummy Bears, and then it'll play a DuckTales, and then it'll play a Batman, and then a Transformers, you know, and I won't have to think about it. And then I'll rip some 80s commercials off of YouTube and then put them in between the shows. So every time a show finishes, maybe I'll do like three or four commercials from the 80s and then uh, play another show. Like, that'll be awesome. It will take a while to set up, you know, like create the playlists. But then when it's done, you know, I just hit play. And then I'll have these playlists that are like 12 hours long where I just hit play and then I don't have to worry about it. And, you know, I'll make, you know, there'll be like Saturday morning playlist number 49 or whatever. And then just hit play and fucking go. I think that'd be awesome. Ultimately, it would be awesome to have them as actual TV stations, if that's possible. Um, And by that, I just mean actually have, you know, three or four fake TV stations that are actually playing constantly. So when you switch to the actual different channels, you catch like the middle of a show or whatever, like that would be wicked. So that's my plan. If anybody knows about this stuff or can help me out, I mean, so far using Plex works. Plex is just like a program and uh, it's simple. Like I still have to press play. Like ultimately in my head, my dream fantasy is to have stations that are actually playing and you switch to them like channels, but all the content on them is curated by you. You know what I mean? So I would literally have a TV station that just plays like Simpsons and Seinfeld episodes, you know, and like other other of my favorite sitcoms. And then one channel would be just cool movies, you know, you know, that thing where you could own a movie on DVD or Blu-ray and then when it comes in on TV, you'll watch it with commercial breaks and stuff. And the whole time it's like I could just put this Blu-ray in the machine. So there is something about catching a program you like and watching it. And wouldn't it be cool if there was a TV station that just played what you liked? 
And that's the idea. So look, I want to listen to another song. Uh, this is a cool one from Shredder 1984. Uh, I like this song. This is called Life's a Glitch. Get it? And uh, and this is brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $25 club. There's Eric Dahlberg, William Stewart, Tim Carlton, and Johnny Five. And uh, this is a kick-ass song, man. This is Life's a Glitch by Shredder 1984. And that was Shredder 1984 with the track Life's a Glitch. And that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $25 Club. There's Emilio Astavez. 
Joey and Kendra, Martin Larby, and Gregorio Franco. And if you want to see me have a conversation with <laughs> Gregorio, you can check out my Twitch page. What is the link? Let me look. It is uh, twitch.tv slash beyond underscore synth. So don't forget to uh, check that out, man, if you want to. You don't have to, but, you know, you got to do the do. So if anybody has any ideas of things you want me to do on the uh, the Twitch stream, let me know. I mean, I just see it more as an opportunity to connect with all of you who listen to the show. So it's more... The call-in aspect is what I like the best, but uh, who knows, man? Maybe maybe you guys got some sweet ideas that I don't know about. I mean, I've got a sweet idea right now, and that is to fill a big pot of, like, herbal tea and just inhale the steam. Oh, my nose, man. And it sucks because you know that when they made those um, products that you could spray into your nose? I don't remember what they're called. Like, I remember their brand name. One of them was called Otrevin in Canada, but I don't know if that was just a Canadian thing. And the thing is, man, those things worked. A little too good, if you know what I mean. I I don't even know what I mean. (laughs) But they worked really well. Like, I was surprised when I used one one time, and I'm like, whoa, these things actually work? But then, every time your nose would get stuffed again, you'd keep spraying it, and I started to realize, like, oh no, you can get fucking addicted to this shit, because it works so well. But now I feel like I don't see it advertised anymore. So, maybe that stuff was a problem. Who knows? Let's listen to another song, and then we'll just talk to Wave Shaper. Maybe this episode might be a little short this week, but I have a cold, man. I need to, you know, I need to uh, recuperate. I need one of those sleeps, you know, where you put on so many blankets and just keep your clothes, where you just, like, sweat, but then the next day you wake up and you're purified. Maybe I need a sauna. No, 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 no. Did I ever tell you about that time where I was, like, in the bathtub and it was too hot and I fucking fainted? (laughs) Thankfully, I have a stand-up shower. I just realized how fucking crazy that was. I fucking fell over in the shower but I just fell against the fucking glass because anyway um, alright look here's a cool song from Crockett this is brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters there's Blake Peterson and Mike Shima they're in the $25 club because they are cool 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 people and uh, this song is called Familiar Streets by Crockett
And that was Crockett with the track Familiar Streets. Familiar Streets. Familiar. For some reason, I say familiar like there's an R in there. Familiar. Uh, that's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. There's Hampus ML, Ken Giroux, Chatterack, Pattern Shift, and we will never forget the immortal Chris Lane. And you know what, guys? The Blood Moon is rising! time for the donation of the beast. That's right. These are all the people who donate $6.66. I know it's been a long time because we were working on a new jingle, but here it is just for you guys because you know I appreciate your support. Six. 66. There's Replicant 69. Artificial. R. Valentine. Philip Back. Paninaro, Luke BTD, Love Machines from X, Alexandro Samaras, Zeon B, Tomas Shimenek, Street Cleaner, Renton Brax, Till Wild, Orlando, Rodriguez Naif, Straylight, and Ross Pentland. You are all the minions of Satan. And we'll throw in the Polar Wildcat Studios. Why not? Oh, and I almost forgot. Jimpy has upgraded his support. (laughs) Don't ask me what mood I'm in now. (laughs) All right, guys, look. I have a cold, so I don't want to talk anymore. So here... We're going to go chat with Waveshaper. I had fun with him. This continues my Swedish series. You know, I've had a lot of guests on from Sweden recently, and I think I'm literally going to record another Swedish guest in a few days, which you guys will probably hear uh, towards the end of the month. So lots of Swedish people make cool music, man. Who knows why? Maybe we'll find out today. So look, let's go chat with Waveshaper. Alrighty, well I'm here today with Wave Shaper. How's it going, man? It's fine, Andy. Nice to speak with you. Yeah, man. So this is Tom, right? Yeah, that's correct. Now this will be like the seventh 
season of Beyond Synth. It's been going for about a month or so. And now I start to feel bad because I've been doing the show for so long <laughs> that there's certain artists who I'm like, I really should have talked to this person like 10 years ago or something. You know what I mean? And uh, you're definitely one of those guys who, who's made pretty awesome music consistently from when you started. And uh, it, it feels weird to like talk to certain people so late into the thing. But anyway, <laughs> that's my story. No worries. I remember I saw your project uh, back in the days when I started making music. So you were you were known already then back in like 2013. And last season when I finally talked to like Robert Parker because obviously you guys have done some collaborations and that that was another yeah. case of like why am I only talking to this guy now? Anyway, <laughs> doesn't matter because we're doing it. So you're another one of my Swedish guests. Is that correct? Yep, that's correct. <laughs> I should just have a series. I'm going to have a playlist of all my Swedish guests because there seem to be quite a lot of cool people from Sweden making music I like. <laughs> I, I think Sweden has been uh, or is very known for uh, yeah creating hit music. And uh, I, I think we have a... Yeah, a little special thing here in Sweden. Uh, when you are really young in school, you get the opportunity to participate in uh, training classes for a very low fee. So they kind of promote uh, the children to start uh, with instruments at a really young age. Is that what you did? I did. I did when I uh, when I was in, uh, I think it was the second grade, I started with uh, guitar. It was fun for maybe one year or so because I wasn't that good to follow, you know, score sheets and things like that. But uh, I had a really cool uh, trainer, so he let me uh, create my own tracks or uh, my own yeah, like riff on the guitar, and we we just uh, did what we want instead of following the score sheet. So it was it was pretty cool. That's the way to go, man. Because I had piano lessons when I was a kid, and the biggest barrier for me was that I, I didn't like to do other people's songs. And it would be like a reward for me. Like the teacher would say, after the lesson's done, you can go. And he had like a keyboard, like he had an electronic keyboard yeah. that I could only play like sometimes when the lesson was over. <laughs> and that's all I wanted to do. Like I would have been just as happy if my parents left me that place. And then the dude said, I'm not going to teach you anything. Just go in the room and fool around with the keyboard. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I get you there. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of uh, destroying the songs that you're all training on as well. You, you do the repetition of them several times and it gets like very boring so so but he was really uh, like encouraging and and because I had a really hard time to focus on the score sheets while playing at the same time so just creating my own stuff was way much more fun and so I started to play some electrical guitar and I, I had a keyboard at home and then I gradually moved over to playing keyboards. Yeah. When they teach you guitar at like a young age, do they give you like a little tiny guitar? <laughs> yeah, they did. Like a special for, for small ones. Yeah. yeah with <laughs> nice. Especially for me, I was like really small so they gave me a super small guitar. Here, Tom, here we go. Super small guitar. <laughs> <laughs> So, but you already had like a keyboard at home. Like, were you like musical as a kid or did you get that because of your, what was going on in school? Actually, my, my dad was into music or he, he played in a rock band. He played bass and he, he also uh, was a singer there. He was also really interested in in electronic music. So he had uh, he had a vinyl records from Kraftwerk and Jean-Michel Schar and those kind of uh, 70s synth stuff. And I remember I was playing them on his uh, vinyl record player and then the keyboard was there. So I started to learn those kind of tracks. It was kind of nerdy already then, but it was a little bit how it uh, started, actually. Did you do any stuff before Wave Shaper? Yeah, I did. I think I was in a band uh, around high school or even before that. So we did some local things, but, but nothing really major. It was just uh, school things, you know, having some gigs uh, at a very local uh, scene. Uh, but um, I started with electronic music when I was 16 years old. 
old. Now I'm 34, so I've been doing it quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that time, I was uh, messing around with uh, Fruity Loops, who was the original name for FL Studio. Yeah. So back then I did like uh, techno and trance music because that was kind of in around 2001, 2002, that time. And uh, yeah, I remember doing my music and it was played at parties in high school. And I, I thought it was kind of fun to have your music uh, to a party and people were actually dancing to it and enjoyed it. So I think that's the first time that I really explored electronic music. And after that, I've been doing a lot of different genres. I was quite into uh, the Chemical Brothers and the Prodigy, that kind of uh, big beat music, and um, started to elaborate with that and uh, tried some pop music <laughs> and uh, various stuff. Uh, but I had one project actually before Wave Shaper that was called Position Zero. And Sorry, what? Position Zero. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> okay, spell that. Position, like P O S I T I O N, zero with the Z in the beginning. Oh! <laughs> Okay. Did you get it? Now? No, yeah, no, I get it now. I thought you were saying something dirty, but okay, I got you. Oh, oh my God! What? What? <laughs> I'm not going to explain myself. Well, let's get started here, and let's listen to some music, yep. and then we'll keep talking about it because it's cool stuff. So here's a track back from 2014, and uh, I guess we we're just talking about Robert Parker. So this was a collab you did with him, and this is the track "Modern Technology."
And that was Modern Technology by Wave Shaper and Robert Parker from the year 2014. And I'm here today, right now, with Wave Shaper, Tom. Yay. Tom Wave Shaper, I'm going to call you. It's like your last name. <laughs> <laughs> Just before, we were talking about sort of like old music projects and stuff. What was your band name in high school? Oh, shit. It was a really corny name, actually. It was. Uh, they always are. That's why I like to ask. It was called Moonrise Harbor. You know? <laughs> well, that's not bad. Moonrise Harbor, that's fine. I think it was a little bit like Swedes are trying to figure out cool American names. And uh, yeah, maybe it ended up well when you didn't laugh out about it. So <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, uh, you know, it's not like the Americans always get their names right either. Yeah, true, true. When I think back to the 90s and all the stupid band names that are still in my head of like 90s music, there was this band called fucking Sixpence None the Richer. Like, I still think about that every now and again and just be like, what a dumb... Oh, man, there's so many fucking stupid chumba wumba. I mean, come on, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> high school students don't always have the monopoly on terrible band names. There's a lot out there. Remember, like, a few years ago, there was some dude who played guitar who was called Milky Chance? <laughs> yeah, I remember that, yeah. Milky Chance. <laughs> like, fuck, that's yeah. stupid. <laughs> it's so stupid. Never danced like this before, because I was just thinking when you were talking about Fruity Loops, because I used to use Fruity Loops, I still call it Fruity Loops. Yeah. To me, it still is Fruity Loops, no matter what kind of rebranding they try and do. What was the name? There was a default instrument. Was it the TS-404? Is that what it was called? Yeah, that was like their uh, TB-303 emulator. Yeah, it was a little bit more advanced, but that's correct. Yeah, yeah fuck. I, I don't know why. It just popped back into my head trying to... I never figured anything out. Like, I'm not good at making music. <laughs> so I just remember the TS-404 and kind of scrolling through the presets. So that time, it, it was a little bit considered as a beginner's program. But now, if you look today, all the like... Uh, mainstream electronic music stuff or not all of it but uh, like the big mass is, is created from FL Studio so it's it's kind of fun how they like fought their way through uh, the big giant ones like Pro Tools and uh, Cubase and all those and actually managed to become what they are today that's kind of impressive well you know when I look at the actual interfaces themselves I like the way Fruity Loops works yeah I agree it's, it's very versatile and it's very aesthetically pleasing with, with the layout and many of the music programs, especially back then, were kind of quirky, you know, mm. when it comes to the interface. Like, I use Logic, right? I mean, I record this show with Logic. Occasionally, I'll do, like, silly music things and stuff. But um, even just laying down notes in Logic, it's like you have to yeah. create a space. And then you then you have to sort of, like, you go on the where the playlist is. And you're like, all right. And you, like, highlight an area and say, this is where my MIDI notes are going to go. And then you have to, like, put the samples in. And, like, I, I just like how Fruity Loops, you just drop them in. And it's like, I want a drum beat here and you can see the little light moving and you know where your drum beat's going to be and yeah. I don't know there's something that just makes more sense to me I agree it, it creates a really good uh, a really good flow when you work with it I don't use it anymore but I think you know uh, digital audio workstations today they are very similar and, mm -hmm. and back then when I started to make music then it was all about what systems are you using because at that time it was kind of complex to have your own home studio because you needed to have a mixer table and you needed to have that some compressor or 
or things like that. But today it's super simple to be a, a producer, a newcomer. You only need a, a computer, basically. Then you're up to run. When I went to uh, film school, I had a, a sound class and we ne- and we used Pro Tools. Yep. And so you needed to buy a, an M box. Yeah. And it cost 750 bucks Canadian or something. And then it, it had a, a, its own stupid cable. Like it was a special cable and everything. And, uh, and that thing's useless. Yeah, it was complex to get things to work. You had a lot of latency lag from the MIDI keyboard and uh, but I, I guess it's takes some time to get things to evolve. I mean, I did some music even before that uh, on my Atari ST computer that was uh, kind of tracker music and I also tried it a little bit on the PC but I didn't actually stuck with it that much but it was fun to actually try it out. And there are some producers that uses tracker systems even today. You know, Mitch Mother is using Renoise which is basically a modern tracker software. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cool. So what was the program you were using on the Atari? It was called TC tracker so it was a simple one and the Amiga had a better sound chip at that time but Atari was kind of interesting because it was uh, uh, equipped with MIDI so you could control uh, like your hardware synths with Atari at that time and there were quite a lot of producers like uh, Fatboy Slim used Atari ST2 to have it as a sequencer for his stuff and uh, yeah it was like the really beginning of when the home studio actually became more versatile than the past when you needed to have big recorders and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, how about this? Let's listen to another song and then we'll uh, we'll keep talking here. So I'm going to move to the album Retro Future, which was cool. And this track I dug, this is Cyborg Telekinetics and uh, we're going to listen to that right now. <laughs>
And that was Cyborg Telekinetics by Wave Shaper. I'm here with Wave Shaper right now, Tom. I like that song. It has sort of like a Scarface vibe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that chord progression. It's it's kind of easy to fall into those chords. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm a big <laughs> fan of Georgia Moroder, so it's like, okay, not again. I need to throw this on the trash now and start to make another one. <laughs> <laughs> I do like those chords, though. They're great. Yeah, yeah. This, yeah, yeah. They're very, very nice. So what was um, your inspiration then doing the actual Wave Shaper project? Like, what, what got you into that? I think since I've been doing quite a lot of electronic music in the past, I did this kind of music. I think it was around 2007 or something, or even before that. I did some covers on, like, the Terminator team and the, the Running Man team, which has a really epic soundtrack. And uh, mm-hmm. But at that time... Uh, I couldn't see anyone to enjoy that music. So I started to do other stuff at that time. But then uh, I, like many others, uh, figured out that people were actually doing this kind of music. And I think I was first in contact uh, with the Valerie Collective, those kind of sounds from that time, 2009 maybe, I think. Mm-hmm. And then things just kept going, you know, with uh, Drive and other, other stuff. Uh, so it was like, okay, so people are really doing this and people are enjoying this kind of music. So I think this is the time when I can actually nerd myself into this kind of sound and create my own style. Was there sort of a thing going on in Sweden or a scene of like the Swedish people sort of connecting with each other? Because obviously like very early on, you, you collab with Robert Parker. So like, how'd you meet him? Sweden is a little bit unique because we have had this 80s revival thing constantly since the 80s. We have had uh, artists like The Knife or Robin that has been doing kind of 80s influenced uh, music. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I figured out that there were a couple of Swedish people that were doing this kind of music like uh, Mitch Murder most years. And then I I found uh, Robert Parker on on a music forum actually. And then I, I found out that we were living in the same city, Stockholm at that time. So we connected through SoundCloud and start to share ideas and yeah, that's how it all started. Are you a doctor too? <laughs> no. <laughs> but I that's that's a very fun uh, trivia with with Robert because uh, I, I used to say to him when we are out touring together I am his doctor I <laughs> constantly need to uh, make sure that he's drinking water and he's prepared. Blah, 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 <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> oh, that's fun! Yeah, we started to play live in uh, 2014. There wasn't that much uh, of a big live scene back then, but now the past uh, two years has been uh, really good. Actually, a lot of uh, promoters and venues are interesting to explore this kind of sound when the EDM movement uh, ended they let us in to, to do some uh, performance here and there and uh, yeah it's, it's really fun so have you done like many solo ones or are you always kind of doing it with sort of a group I think when it comes to me and Robert, you know, people know that we have been uh, collaborating uh, quite a lot in the past and we are both really good friends. So if one promoter is asking uh, for me, then maybe he's asking for Robert too. So usually that's how it ends up. But I I haven't done that many solo things. So it's usually connected with maybe three, four artists uh, when you have some kind of uh, synthwave show, especially here in Europe. But uh, I think when I perform, I perform mainly solo, except 
left from the last gig was in Helsinki at Flashback Future Helsinki Disco. Hmm. Then me and Robert we performed four tracks uh, together. That was that was epic. I think one of the cool thing is especially when I uh, had a small tour in in US together with Absolute uh, Valentine. Uh, Robert uh, he also did one gig at uh, Neon Festival in uh, Providence. But the fun thing with this uh, live thing for me is to meet the people actually to meet uh, the fans to meet the audience because you know this genre is quite a lot of people are behind computers and uh, we nerd ourselves down on online and stuff like that but, <laughs> but this was the real thing you know actually meeting people figuring out that we are much the same and uh, having the same background influence music da 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 retro stuff and that was a big uh, thing for me to actually come out and meet meet the people behind the computers yeah no that's my favorite part uh, honestly like as much as I love the music and it is like pretty much all I listen to now it's all you know retro synth you know electronic music that's pretty much everything i listen to but uh, when it comes to the live performances i'm always just so happy just to see the people making it you know like especially with doing this show because i've had so many conversations with these people that it's so great to meet people that i've like yeah. you know just been in contact with for years i mean that's the best part that's why i have to get my damn passport yeah because <laughs> my fucking <laughs> my stupid passport needs to be renewed and Anyway. Yeah, yeah, just do it, just do it. <laughs> I think one fun thing is also to meet the artist because you have seen them around as an artist yourself and maybe you have some inspiration from someone and really appreciate someone's tracks and then you have the opportunity to meet them and uh, then it's like like meeting an old friend that you haven't seen in like four years. So it's, it's cool to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, let's listen to some more music, man, and then we'll keep talking. This was another track from Retro Future. This one's called Electrical Feelings by Wave Shaper.
And that was Wave Shaper with the track Electrical Feelings. And I'm here with Wave Shaper right now. Tom, all the way from Sweden. Yay. Towards the end of last season, I had like several Swedish guests in a row. Some of them were like chiptune artists. And so that was a thing too, because there seemed to be this connection to artists who had started out in the demo scene. Yeah. And then eventually their sound evolved into the sort of the synth wave and retro synth style. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There is a fine line in between those genres. And I, and I think the last year I've seen some uh, crossovers also that some chiptune artists are starting to make uh, like retro wave synthwave music. So it's kind of interesting how those two genres can elaborate in between. And I mean, I, I'm also a big fan of uh, chiptune music. So on some of my tracks, you can hear some of the sounds and, and melodies are very C64 and, uh, and those kind of stuff. Were you much into retro gaming? Yeah, yeah, of course. And I, I'm I still I am collecting uh, some of the consoles and uh, playing them at a regular basis and uh, yeah a lot of Nintendo 8-bit of course and uh, the Sega Genesis or Sega Mega Drive as it was called here in Europe. I've never researched the reason why they gave it a different name. Maybe it has to do with the trademark thing uh, because I, I've i also thought about it and, and uh, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, in the case of Mega Drive and Genesis, I think they're both cool sounding names. Yeah, 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 of course. I don't think one is necessarily better than the other. Like, I think Mega Drive sounds cool but Sega Genesis also sounds cool. Yeah, it does. It does. It's not the same as like in Sonic the Hedgehog when they call him Dr. Robotnik but now they're calling him Dr. Eggman yeah yeah and yeah. like <laughs> one is very clearly better than the other because now if I ever see like a new Sonic game they're just like oh and Dr. Eggman I'm like Dr. Eggman like what the fuck are you doing yeah. like that's stupid sounding yeah. it sounds so dumb yeah Anyway. Yeah, I know. And I, I don't know which brand it was that released a pair of uh, Sonic uh, sneakers. Did you remember that? Did you see them? No. No, and, and it was like the Sonic version and the Eggman version. So it was kind of, yeah, which one should I choose? Yeah. No, <laughs> well, I mean, I don't even think I would choose the Robotnik one anyway, but I mean, fucking Eggman. Anyway. Yeah. You can't lose me, Eggman! Eggman! You know my name is Dr. Eggman! You do that on purpose! Do what, Egghead? Yeah, I, I still have the original uh, consoles, of course, but I mean, I've been quite a lot into the mini versions, like the Super Nintendo and the Nintendo version, and also uh, lately uh, a Sega version as well. It's kind of convenient if you don't have the time. It has also a small footprint, and it's easy with the HDMI cable to just yeah. plug in and, and just do some quick gaming before bed or something similar. So. Yeah, I'm not really a purist when it comes to the hardware itself, if I had a collection of old video game systems, I would probably have them on a shelf with like cool looking lights. And then I would probably just play emulated versions yeah. from one system. Like you say, the convenience of just having HDMI, like I've got a RetroPie, it's easy to plug in. You can plug USB controllers in and it's the same. Like it's yeah. <laughs> like, there's only like a few systems where, you know, like I love my N64. And so, you know, there's a few games that don't emulate very well. Yeah, yeah, true, true. I think uh, I saw a rumor that Nintendo is about to release a, a mini version of it, actually. So it will be kind of fun, nostalgic thing to own one. But as you say, I mean, those kind of games haven't aged that well. I mean, if you look at the PS1 mini and they play uh, Metal Gear Solid, it's, it's really good games. And I appreciated those games at that time. But I mean, looking at Tomb Raider 1 today on a big 60-inch uh, TV, it looks like complete crap, actually. To me, the N64... <laughs> I think is the gen is is the generation I have the most nostalgia for yep. weirdly enough because I played it later like that was my high school system was the N64 but yeah definitely the way it's aged like some games are still great like Mario 64 yeah. is 
pretty solid even now like when I go back and play it and like Mario Kart this of course a classic but yeah definitely like the 16-bit era the Super Nintendo the old games there's just something different about them and they've aged better and the resolution of the N64 is ridiculous because it's something like it's like 320 by 270 or something. like it's so low that's why I'm a little skeptical about them doing a, a mini N64 yeah because like unless they're boosting the resolution when I play my emulator and I play Goldeneye or Perfect Dark I boost the resolution to like 1080 and I'm running anti-alias and all this other stuff and boosting the frame rate because it's unplayable if you play it the old way yeah true the resolution sucks it plays slowly <laughs> the, the controller is wonky you know like there's all sorts of problems for the PlayStation 1 I really appreciated uh, Hideo Kojima's uh, Metal Gear Solid because they had a really nice storytelling uh, creativity where you had to change controller ports um, oh yeah yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I can feel your mind yeah, yeah. psychomantis yeah. <laughs> but at that time I was blown away I was like oh shit so I'm actually interacting with cables during playing. Wow. Yeah, cool. that game is is a special game. Well, hold on. We'll, we'll talk about more of it, but we got to listen to some music. Yep. So we're going to move to Sounds That Kill. You've made a lot of music, and we're sort of working our way up, but we're still in 2014. Yeah. But anyway, this was a cool track. This is Awakening by Wave Shaper. Thank you. 
And that was Awakening by Wave Shaper. And I'm here with Wave Shaper right now, Tom from Sweden, and we're talking about Metal Gear Solid. When I think back to playing the opening, and there's like credits at the bottom of the screen. Yeah, and exactly. I, and I remember like, oh, this is like, this feels like I'm playing a movie, you know, like, it, and just the fact that the story took itself so seriously, yeah. and it was so dramatic and like over the top, and, and I remember just feeling like, wow, like this is something special. And lately I have those less and less. I would say Red Dead Redemption 2, the story, I found it to be really affecting and like emotional. Mm-hmm. That's basically the, the thing now with games. It's like if a game can actually move me emotionally like a movie does, that's the thing now where I'm like, oh, that's really impressive. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I haven't really been into uh, PS4 or the Xbox uh, generations lately. Uh, so the console that has appealed uh, me the best uh, lately is, is the Nintendo Switch. Because I have a limited time and, and it's uh, kind of convenient just to have the portable uh, version to kick it alive and, and start playing and, and there are many games on that system that uh, works really well for me. I mean, of course there is a big uh, indie game uh, movement still, but uh, lately I'm, I've been playing a lot of good ones like The Messenger, which is basically a Ninja Gaiden kind of version on the Switch, which is uh, has amazing music and uh, amazing platforming action. So I think the Nintendo Switch, uh, that is of course the Nintendo's uh, best console since the since the Wii. I mean, it isn't graphic uh, the same as the PlayStation or the Xbox, but yeah, yeah you know, Nintendo has, has never been like the leader in, in graphic uh, evolvement. I wish they would, though. Yeah. Because once the Wii generation happened, Nintendo started down this path of, we're all about gameplay and we're not about graphics. And the thing is, while I agree with that, and I think that that's a fine mission statement, yeah. there is still something very impressive about games that look awesome. If you watch just the opening footage of Red Dead Redemption 2, it's like during a snowstorm, like there's this blizzard and just seeing the deformation of the snow as your horse like walks through like two foot high snow and and it, it looks so good that the game could be complete garbage and I would still be wowed, like just sitting there going like, wow, like this looks so good. Yeah. You know, with the Super Nintendo, Nintendo was on top and they also had the more powerful system. And I liked that. And the same with the N64. Like, the PlayStation had movie scenes, but when it came down to the actual games, the Nintendo 64 looked better. Like, it was more colorful. It was, you know, like, the games were more vibrant. They were smoother. The 3D was smoother. When you played 3D games on the PlayStation 1, they were very sort of jittery. The polygons were, like, vibrating all over the place. True. So... I wish Nintendo would just, you know, be Nintendo and also make the most powerful system. Like, I think that would be fun just to see. Their kind of games are more playful or joyful. It's not like... But, I mean, of course, you have Doom on Nintendo Switch, mm. of course. That is a, a quite violent game. But, you know, you, you, you mainly find the more friendly games today than, than in the past. Maybe or they've always been that kind of systems, of course. Yeah. During the PlayStation 1 era, I was also a lot of into the PC games. And speaking of uh, games that was a little uh, breakthrough in that era was uh, was Half-Life. It was a little bit the same as Metal Gear with, you know, the opening credit stuff and uh, that game also took you through a journey uh, in a quite uh, cinematic uh, feeling. What impressed me about Half-Life was I think that was the first game I ever played where it, it wasn't broken up into levels. Yeah. Like, it was just one continuous thing and the way that everything sort of joined. You know, the beginning scene where you are at the Black Mesa lab there and then there's things going on and you could see things from a distance 
through a window or something that some scientists were working on something. So there were constantly like Easter eggs here and there for you to explore in that game. One of these days I'm going to make a list. Just a, just a list of like all the games for me that were the the moments that, you know, blew me away for one reason or another. Because a lot of modern games are kind of the same. I like open world sort of games and they're all very similar now in terms of like the controls are pretty much all the same they all have sort of an item weapon wheel that's the same you press the same button for the menu to pop up they all kind of have a crafting system that's kind of the same and the map is kind of the same you know and so it's weird it's like even though i like all of those things you want to see something new yeah yeah something that really surprised you as a player yeah for sure and who knows i mean like you know I have faith that people will come up with cool things. Yeah, yeah, that will happen for sure. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of cool things, though, let's listen to another track. Well, how about we move on? We'll move on to Solar Drifter, which is a cool one uh, album. I think uh, I kind of felt like the music got a little punchier with this release. True, yeah. Yeah, and I dig it. And this was a cool track called uh, Fight Against Time by Wave Shaper.
And that was Fight Against Time by Wave Shaper. And I'm here with Wave Shaper right now. So, in terms of your actual music, like I just mentioned before the song was playing, that I, I felt like it sort of got punchier. So, what was going on in your head? Yeah, I mean, I started, when I started with the project back in 2013 and uh, evolving to 2014, I was quite stuck into the cinematic, slower, moody thing, you know? Mm. Then for Solar Drifter, the aim was to create more uh, punchier, uh, outrun, uh, vibey album or yeah, EP then. So, that's when I started to elaborate with that sound which I has also gradually evolved from that EP as well yeah it was a fun EP to make and uh, as you mentioned fight against time uh, that has also been one of the most popular tracks from me and it, it's fun actually because I did that track really quickly because I remember I I was in a deal with Rad Rush Records at that time it was a Swedish record label they don't exist anymore or at least they don't release music at uh, this time and the aim was to make this kind of outrun concept EP I made three tracks and we wanted four and I had a little bit of struggle to make the last track and I think I made this track in two days or something like that I had this good flow of uh, creativity once uh, creating it. <laughs> so what do you do then in your uh, free time then when you're not uh, gaming and making tunes and stuff? Yeah, I'm one of those. I still have my full-time job as an engineer uh, in a company here in Sweden. Yeah, it, it's kind of busy, you know, but I, I think it works quite good for me to not do this 100% because then I can... I don't need to force myself to release stuff and I can do things when it matches my uh, I don't know, creativity mood and things like that. So, What does an engineer do? I'm a mechanical engineer, so I, I design uh, mechanical parts for uh, products. Uh, I mean, engineer can be very, very wide. You can work with software, electronics and various stuff, but I'm, uh, I'm into mechanical things, so it's uh, CAD stuff, you know, and making prototypes and evaluating them and, uh, and so on. Are you in a computer doing like 3D designs and then it gets like built or how does that work? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. And uh, now recently I'm also having an engineering lead role. So I'm, uh, I'm leading a team of engineers developing stuff basically. So it's kind of fun and challenging and uh, I like to work with teams and people around me. So it's a creative environment, that too. But what do you mean designing stuff? In my head I always picture pipe fittings. Are, are, are you building more complex sort of things? Like are these for yeah, products or is this like for a factory? Like We can talk about the specific products. It's actually a robotic lawn movers. Wait, so what? So yeah. so wh- where's where's your... Okay, so so there's, there's a robotic lawn mower. Yeah. So what... Correct. What do you- <laughs> there is a robotic lawnmower. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I think we're done. Uh, no, so so what do you do exactly? I'm responsible of the mechanical parts of it. I mean, the product consists of electronic software and yeah, mainly electronic software and, and mechanical subsystems. So um, I'm working with the mechanical parts for it. And I don't know if robotic lawnmowers are so popular in Canada, but here in Europe they have become uh, very popular the last the last year, basically. The last maybe five or ten years. So it's a common product here, but I know in US and Canada it's a little bit uh, slower growth, I guess. Yeah. Like, are you also involved in the testing? Like, do you say, I've designed yeah. this thing and now we're going to take it and screw it in and then we're going to see if it spins the way that we think it's supposed to? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean the role takes a very wide responsible uh, area, so it's everything from 
from designing and evaluating prototypes to actually performing field tests of the final products. And uh, yeah, it's it's very very creative um, process from the beginning to the end, and it's an appealing thing to actually see the product uh, working in the end, and that the last thing uh, where you can see it in the in the store for sale. I mean. So do you have full understanding as how it works? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think, I mean, it's all about these nerdy things again, but I think I've always been into technology and, and those kind of things. So it's especially fun to work with robots, with robotics, because they have uh, such a high complexity grade, you know, everything from uh, advanced software to electronics and to see the system up and running in the end. It's fun. You can dig down to almost any product today that you have. And as an engineer, you're always like curious about, okay, how does this KitchenAid thing work? Yeah, it's a motor here and an electronic driver and maybe some software and some. So, you know, your head starts to get warm when you think about, <laughs> thinks yeah. about those kind of <laughs> I find this stuff so interesting because like, I don't have the brain for it. But when I when I see, especially like new sort of complex devices, yeah. I think it must be so cool to actually look at it, you know, be, be able to take apart a blender and go like, oh, I get this. Like, because I don't. Eh? Like, I take things apart all the time with no <laughs> understanding and I leave with no understanding yeah. <laughs> and then I just end up breaking stuff yeah, but that's good too you know sometimes it's good to have a distance from the part or the product to yourself because if you start to think about how it works too much then you get like concerned oh will, will this really work and wow look at that so as an engineer you, you start to think maybe too much sometimes yeah <laughs> <laughs> I think it's quite common in this genre for people to actually have a daytime job oh yeah for sure when I started this project I, I couldn't really see this grow so big as it this or it's not major big of course but it's bigger than than i started it and people are enjoying the music so uh, but still it, it's good to have something else i think for me it is at least because i was about at what time at one time to do this full time but then i knew okay how will this look in five years uh, maybe i need to find different projects to get the financial funds to get my life working and so on but uh, i do admire people that do this full time because some people are and that that's kind of fun because you are doing it for a living but I'm a little bit afraid that it's going to like kill my creativity a little bit if I'm forced to do this all the time yeah 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 plus you want to keep your brain working uh, yeah 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 of course I need to <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to listen to another song you know what I've played Hardware Passion a few times on this show so maybe we'll play something else in 2015 you had an album called Exploration 84 yeah. which was a I think was the longest one up to that point there's like 14 tracks on there wasn't there yeah yeah it was yeah. Do you have a particular favorite from that one? Ooh, I think it is the the engineer. I think that's also one of the most popular from that one. But uh, that was a fun track to make because uh, I didn't really know what to do when I did that track. But I, I was messing around with sounds and harmonics, basically. So uh, I'm happy the way it, it turned out. All right, man. Well, let's listen to that track. So this is The Engineer by Wave Shaper.
And that was The Engineer by Wave Shaper. And I'm here with Wave Shaper right now, talking about engineering. Yeah. So that good. That sort of ties in. That's cool. It does. It does, yeah. Again, I always find this stuff fascinating. Like, I love when people... I have, like, an envy of people with technical sort of jobs. I like watching people restore old machines. Yeah. I've been watching these videos of this guy that just takes old... What was the example I used last time? I was talking to Marco. It was, a, it was like a vice grip. It's like this old vice grip, and it's all rusted and brown. And then he like scrapes all the rust off and puts it through a sandblaster and then sands all the parts down and re-oils it and builds new nails and screws that go in and then paints it. And I love seeing like even simple machines like taken apart and see people who just understand here's how the mechanism works. Yeah. And if I fix this thing and I put oil here, then I can make it work again. And I love all that shit. Obviously, what you're doing is more complicated but yeah but i i know what you say and i think restoration is very appealing you know when you can see something look really crappy and then in the end you know with with the right people working on it and having like the right yeah this is the original way it was made back in the days and now we're going to do the same process here so it's, it's kind of fun and as many other stuff there is tons of these things on, on youtube as well and you can dig yourself down into uh, hours of oh yeah kind of thing. <laughs> and you know today it's kind of uh, encourage uh, your uh, creativity also with the CAD tools and the 3D printers that are more commercial for, for private usage. I mean, it's kind of fun and scary maybe to see people creating uh stuff you know but it's very innovative so if you work for an actual company when you're an engineer yeah you're designing a piece using the the 3d software how do they manufacture the piece do they use 3d printing or is it actually like is it milled or like is a machine at molten metal like how does it work i mean 3d printing is is good but um, there is another technology called sls it's called uh, selective laser sintering but there is a similar kind of 3D build process. So it actually, uh, it, um, oh, how should I explain this? But I mean, <laughs> you know, a 3D printer dispenses uh, plastic, hot plastic, and then, and then you have a build uh, surface that goes down gradually mm-hmm. while the dispensed plastic is poured on. But uh, selective laser sintering is actually a powder. So you have a powder that is being laser sintered, and then you lower the powder. So you get these build steps but you have a finer pitch on the material. So it's actually a, a plastic type kind of material, but it's more smoother surfaces. Yeah. Sure. But of course we have uh, milling and molding and other processes as well. Uh, you have a prototype plant that supports you, you in the manufacturing of the prototype. So it's a very fun process. And sometimes your prototypes can be completely crap because you did mistakes, but then it's just back to the drawing table and, and start again. So That's super cool. How did you get involved with that in the first place this particular job was maybe because i moved to another city and i found these products to be very interesting but from the start i think yeah you know when i started high school i I knew that i wanted to develop stuff and there is so much stuff to do and then the mechanical area was a nice area because then you develop things that you could actually feel and test and uh, you had a really uh, nice interaction with the parts that you were making but if i was about to study today i would definitely choose another track 
back and that is probably the software or electronics but the software side is evolving and and it's growing faster but I'm happy with my job now but I think the software development is going very rapid and there is a lot of jobs in that area. Do you like tinker with things or are you a tinkerer? Do you try and fix the shit around your house when it breaks? (laughs) No, I think that I'm not that good at. I mean, I I want to (laughs) or I need to hire people. I mean, I mean, you can be the kind of practical engineer who does the restoration type and then you can be like the theoretic kind of guy and I think I'm that one, you know, mm-hmm. to, to work in, in the computer and then have people around me to help things and, and with the role I'm having now, I'm, I'm surrounded with really skilled engineers that are doing better things than I am but I can make sure that they are uh, doing their best and, you know, they are, evol- they are evolving what they are good at. So I'm, I'm, I moved away a little bit from working with parts to working with people because when you have been working with products or plastic components for many many years you get a little bit bored out and I found I found working with people more inspiring mm-hmm. I'm stimulated that way as well also I don't know if it's necessarily competitive because yeah. it makes me want to like up my game you know when you're around people who are clever it makes you want to be smarter you know just to keep up with what's going on that's what works uh, really good in the engineering environment I mean you're a team but it is at the same time uh, competitive I mean people want to show their abilities and their skills but you know in the end I mean there can be conflicts of course I mean people are arguing about uh, what is right or wrong but I mean in the end that kind of workflow is actually creating a very good product in the end because then you have tried different designs during the development and rejected some approved some and so on so I think that's the normal process when when working in these kind of conditions so it's fun yeah 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 You had this track called 66 megahertz. Yeah, yeah. And I like this, the, the write-up, you know, just, in the early mid-90s, I more or less lived inside DOS on my PC. And you talk about <laughs> Alone in the Dark and LucasArts series and Wolfenstein and stuff. And uh, so I like this track because it had, uh, it sounds different, you know, than some of the other stuff you've made. But mm. I know when I listened to it before I even read the write-up, I'm just like, it took me back to that time. Mm. And you talk about the, uh, the the FM chipset that was in the, in, yeah. in the computer. So let's listen to this one because this is cool. This is a 66 megahertz by Wave Shaper.
And that was 66 megahertz by Wave Shaper. And I'm back with Wave Shaper right now. Tom, we were talking about engineering. It would be fun to go back and talk about um, PC games quick, because obviously that's what this was inspired by. Yeah, that kind of era, you know, when we went from a PC uh, speaker, you know, when you had the really early DOS games, you had the PC speaker sound only. Mm-hmm. And it was like only a square wave where we blippy kind of sounds but then when you went into the sound blaster and adlib era you know it created this kind of signature sound of that time which all the dos games had you know and, and you can count so many good dos games you know the lucas art games alone in the dark and wolfenstein 3d and uh, there were so many good ones and and they all had this kind of uh, sound so i wanted to revisit that sound so i, I made because I was maybe I was a little bit out of inspiration at that time for creating like traditional synth and retro wave music, so I, I I was trying to limit myself with only these sounds. So it was a concept, you know. And I I released a floppy disk which also had a MIDI track included. And nice. <laughs> very nerdy, but as yeah. you said, Andy, it was a, a really cool time of the gaming history with those kind of PC sounds. <laughs> yeah, I'm still trying to populate my list of the the important games. That where I felt like I was experiencing something new or something was being pushed forward. And I, I remember Wolfenstein being like, oh, this is cool. It's like your eye view. It's so simple now when you think about some of this stuff. And Doom, uh, Doom, I really remember the soundtrack. Like, that was the thing that I remember, like, sticking out to me. Yeah. That's my impression of Doom's music, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But it was it was very uh, very metal-ish sound, and I, I think I mean Nine Inch Nails, uh, Trent Reznor. I think he did the soundtrack, or maybe I'm Quake. You're thinking about Quake. He did Quake. That's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's correct. But it was connected to Doom because yeah. it was yeah on Carmack, the creator, and so mm-hmm. that, yeah, it Quake. Yeah, but the Doom soundtrack is amazing. I, I I've been looking out for that soundtrack on on the vinyl, and there has been a lot of bootlegs release of the Doom soundtrack on vinyl because I'm yeah into vinyls as well. And and I mean, then you're not really speaking of the like sound quality thing. It's more of a collective piece to have a Doom on vinyl. That sounds cool, but it's it's kind of funny to see how those bootlegs has sold for like. One thousand dollars or something like that. It's pretty <laughs> crazy now on the on the second hand market. But yeah, back to the game. I mean, Doom. That was a groundbreaking game. I mean, if we go back to that, Doom was definitely something else at that time. I forgot that you can't even look up and down. Like, I, I forgot this stuff. You yeah. know, like, there's so many simple things and iterations that move the genres forward. And Doom, was it Doom 2 where you had the double barrel shotgun and you'd see, like, he'd put the two bullets in and then cock the thing back up? I, I think it was Doom 2, yeah. <laughs> like, that was my favorite part of the game. Just like, oh, this is so cool. <laughs> And it's so yeah, yeah, simple. Yeah. yeah, Doom, they had a had an anniversary quite recently. And uh, when I saw that, I, I felt like I want to revisit the game again because it was quite a long time since I played it. But I definitely want to revisit that game because it was... Yeah, I don't think it's hard to emulate. I mean, the weird thing is is how it was sort of all based on this kind of auto-aiming where you would just sort of, as long as you're pointing in the direction of the enemy, then you would hit them. So even if they were like up high your gun would still just sort of shoot them anyways? Uh, yeah, I mean, that created a quite simple game, but it was also... Uh, I remember the, the kind of demons that you were fighting against. You were also impressed how how they were designed graphically, and there were cool animations, you know, when you fired at them and, and stuff like that. So, uh, 
but I was way too young to play them, but but you spent too many hours playing yeah. those games. <laughs> Plus, uh, Doom was the first place where I ever heard that sound effect that gets used in, like, every movie now. Like the screaming sound effect? There's that, yeah, there's the screaming one, and then there's the whooshing fire sound effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I also remember, you know, if I tell you this now, you will hear this sound in your head when you open the door. Yes, yeah, know, the door opening like, sound, yeah. It's kind of funny sound because it doesn't really sound like a door opening. It's like, I don't know what it is. It's something almost like a screaming sound with some pneumatic uh, stuff going on. But it's, it's, it's a really nice sound. <laughs> yeah, I think I saw... Yeah, I was watching like a Doctor Who episode and I think they used it as like an alarm. Like a base was yeah. running out of power and the lights turned off and that was the sound effect they used. Oh my God, that doesn't work. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I remember I was like, what? <laughs> but whatever. Once, you know, there's certain sound effects that, uh, you know, that get reused. I talk about this a lot on the show, but like, the, you know, they just always take me out of the thing because I'm like, I always think back to where I heard it the first time. Yeah. Some And Doom, like, you know, there's at least three iconic sound effects from Doom that get reused and everything. And, and even simple things like pots breaking in the background or there's this one where you hear a whole crowd gasp yeah, yeah, yeah. and you hear a woman sort of louder than the crowd go like oh. I hear it in every single movie trailer yeah whenever there's yeah. a comedy beat you know when someone says something embarrassing and the whole crowd stops because they heard it they always use yeah. that same gasp sound I remember one thing when I saw Oblivion, you know, there is those drones uh, in the in the desert uh, guarding uh, certain areas. And I remember one of the drones had a, had an alarm, which was similar as a Swedish uh, comedy series for something like really silly. So I couldn't take that serious. I was like, oh, shit. That's <laughs> it ruined the movie. <laughs> I still haven't seen that film. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really nice, and it's it also has a soundtrack from uh, M83. Are we talking about the Tom Cruise movie? Yeah, 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 yeah. You should see it. I mean, I mean, it's the kind of wasteland future uh, movie thing going on, but it has a really nice twist. I should not reveal anything, but you should see it. It is a really good sci-fi movie. And it also had, I don't know if it only was for the vinyl, but it had uh, artwork from uh, Kilian Eng. He does really good artworks and very complex ones. So he had one uh, made for the vinyl of the score for Oblivion. It, it's it's really amazing. That's cool. You should look him up if you don't know him, Kilian Eng. Is it like sci-fi, like spaceship kind of stuff or landscape? Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's, he's pretty famous and he has licensed uh, art for Alien, uh, Aliens uh, anniversary things. So he's, he's really good. Yeah, cool, man. I'll check that out. Yeah. I like all that sci-fi art stuff. Well, look, man, yeah. we can probably wind this down, but I want to listen to another track. So we'll get up to speed here to 2018. And you put out uh, Lost Shapes, which is a B-Sides, right? Yeah, correct. And then there was Lost Shapes Reinvented. Was that remixes? Yeah, remixes. So what's a song that you uh, that I should play from that? Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, you can play MS50, MS20, or if it's named MS20, MS50. I can't remember now, but you can play that one. <laughs> Hold on. I'll, I'll make sure I announce this thing properly. From Lost Shapes, this is MS20 plus 50. What does that mean? Does that mean something? Yeah, it's, it's synthesizers. <laughs> What else? (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. Well, let's listen to this song. This is MS20 plus 50 by Wave Shaper.
And that was Wave Shaper with the track MS20 plus 50, which we've just learned our synthesizer stuff. Yeah. Did we learn that? Yeah, we learned that. <laughs> and, and the reason why I wanted you to play that, because uh, it was from my B-side uh, album, Lost Shapes, and that track was originally made uh, in, in the year 2002. So it's very old. Yeah. So on that album, I brought up old stuff and some rejected uh, video game uh, soundtrack stuff. So uh, yeah, I figured out that I had quite a lot of music uh, laying in folders. So, you know, many artists releases B-side album, and I felt like, yeah... I have some stuff here that could be released. Then it was fun to actually create this uh, remix album of it, you know, revisit the old forgotten tracks with modern uh, touch and uh, view on it. Who did the uh, cover art? He's cool. Uh, yeah, it's, his name is uh, Artem Solop, and uh, he's living here in Sweden now, but he's uh, originally from uh, Ukraine. Yeah, I was in contact with him maybe one and a half year ago because I found his art on Instagram and uh, I think it has a really cool vibe you know it's very original and, and different and I felt like I wanted to do you know not uh, palm and neon uh, grid things uh, for this release so, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean yeah no I've, I've, <laughs> so I've never cool. seen any artwork like that before <laughs> <laughs> no I, I don't, <laughs> you know that has been done so I wanted to like many other feel the same and uh, I wanted to try something different because that's a little bit the uh, philosophy with my music as well to evolve in small steps or or bigger steps sometimes to challenge myself and to try other things so the same thing comes with the art of course yeah 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 well it's cool man I, I like the the whole vibe of it I think it's cool and you make cool music <laughs> yeah, thank you Andy whenever I hear uh, you know Wave Shaper tracks like they're always awesome Marco uh, likes to play Wave Shaper on the show I was gonna say because I've I'm trying to I try you know when I have people on I try and play songs that I haven't played because mm-hmm. I think we've played Hardware Passion like many times on the show yep. that's a favorite over here and I think I've played The Sphere before I dig that song a lot but I also like to get into the into the back catalog as well yeah I mean I have released some stuff in the past and uh, for 2019 I'm, I'm also I'm releasing an, an, a new album. I didn't really see the Lost Shapes album as a new album because it was B-side, so I already had a track. So if we go back, the last album I, I released was actually Station Nova, and that was in 2016. Yeah. Uh, then I stepped into releasing EPs uh, like Velocity. But I know that there is a trend nowadays to release uh, EPs and singles, you know, to get music out. You know, there is a constant need uh, these days of new music. It's not like the past, you know. Music gets consumed so quickly. But this time I wanted to make a full-length album to create, uh, like, some storytelling uh, stuff around it and uh, to focus on, on the concept itself. Cool. When when are you putting that out? I, I have actually completed the tracks and uh, I'm in the mastering process and the promo process with artwork, videos and uh, stuff around the release. So it's due for release around end May, early June. Okay, it cool. Looks like now. I was just uh, just making sure it didn't come out before this interview because uh, no, no, no. It would be really weird if we we don't talk about it and it's already out. And you know, with this album, I'm I'm like I said, I I want to create a concept. I I don't just want to put out like, hey, here's my new album. 
So I want to, I'm working with storytelling and I will have uh, a lot of art connected to it and videos and new stuff because, uh, you know, when you have spent so much time creating an album, it's important to put like the final touches on the concept itself. Uh, so that's why I'm making this, uh, yeah, like a big, big release. Awesome. Well, maybe I'll have you uh, back on just for a few minutes when uh, when it actually comes out so we can uh, talk about it a bit. Yeah, 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 of course. That would yeah. be nice. Cool. All right, man. Well, look, it was uh, it was lovely to meet you. The same, Andy. Nice speaking to you finally. <laughs> yeah, and then keep on making uh, cool music. Uh, you are, so that's you don't need me to tell you that, but uh, it's something I like to say. And you have a lovely uh, Swedish day, man, and finish that fucking uh, electric lawnmower. Yeah, yeah. And you know, Andy, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, you are a really important uh, person for this uh, community, and uh, yeah, a really good guy, nice to talk with. So uh, yeah. <laughs> And, and I'm going to go finish working on my electric lawnmower. Good. It's just two blenders, like, taped together <laughs> on the end of a broom handle. <laughs> you know, when I started at this company, I was seeing, like, this kind of thing, you know, like a crossover. You know that robot from Rocky IV? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Happy <laughs> birthday, Polly, you know? Yeah. Seeing, like, okay, now we're going to introduce a new lawnmower. So this is the new concept, you know? Uh, uh, dim down light uh, put uh, out smoke and then some nice music and here it comes and then it's them <laughs> it's like the fucking robot from Rocky IV <laughs> <laughs> it, it reminds me a little bit have you seen ending this up have you seen the episode when Homer Simpson's uh, brother visit him and he has a car designed Homer Simpson you know what because my favorite seasons of Simpsons are about season 3 to like 8 yeah. but season 2 I think that's my favorite episode from season two, which is yeah. when Homer builds that car. When they fucking unveil the car is one of the funniest <laughs> moments. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw like that moment with the uh, lawnmower and the uh, Rocky Four vibe and the lights and everything. That, yeah. That's the same spirit. <laughs> <laughs> with the stupid... Anyways, man. All right, dude. Well, listen, it was good talking to you, and we'll uh, we'll catch up when uh, your album comes out. The same, Andy. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. All right, and that was my conversation with Wave Shaper. He's a cool guy, and uh, fun to uh, chat with him. And don't forget, you can check out all his tunes on Bandcamp and all that stuff. And uh, he makes really cool music, so it was great to catch up with him. And uh, yeah, I hope you guys have a lovely week. Sorry that this episode was a little bit delayed, but don't worry. It's for a good cause, because the cause is is more beyond synth content for you to enjoy. And yeah, and that is all uh, I have to say, man. I gotta go blow my nose, I gotta drink some tea, and I gotta edit all this stuff I just recorded for you! So uh, have a lovely week, everybody. Tune in next time to Beyond Synth, and uh, keep on keeping on. Oh, and don't forget to check out the Outland Synth Outland is coming to Toronto and they're putting on a cool show and I'm going to be uh, doing a bunch of shows uh, highlighting the artists that are going to be there in the coming weeks so don't forget to uh, check out Outland Synth Toronto you just type those words in and uh, if you're near the area uh, it'd be a cool thing for you to go to man they're having it at the Mod Club it's a one day event featuring lots of cool artists in the scene and a few from uh, Europe and a bunch of uh, Toronto acts and uh I think a few others as well that might not be on the bill. Ooh, secrets. And uh, that's all I have to say. So uh, you're all very cool people. Thanks for listening to the show. And I'll talk to you guys next time on Beyond Synth, the best synthwave chat show there.
If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting it by going to patreon.com slash beyondsynth or visit beyondsynth.com and click on support the show. Beyond Synth is made possible by the awesome Patreon supporters. Don't forget to follow Beyond Synth on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Live broadcasts can be heard weekly on Twitch at twitch.tv slash beyond underscore synth. Have a lovely week.